Praise the Lord. Well, I got to see Sherman on Monday, and they said he is the best patient they've ever had in Barnes Hospital history. He's the most pleasant, easygoing guy. And said that ask he said they asked him how his pain was. He said, Well, it's not too bad. After they operated on his left leg. He says a little pain there. He said between one and ten, ten being the worst, what is it? He said, Oh, about a two. <laughs> He's had four operations already. And uh they may end up sending him to Jonesboro to help recover, eventually go to a rehab down there. But uh, he's pleasant. He's more worried about where his teeth went and his glasses. So I said, well, they don't really want you eating much because your jaw is broken. You know, you can't chew very much. He said, yeah. He's, he was hungry, though. So... But he is so pleasant, he talked my ear off, I tell you. And uh, I took a selfie with him. Actually, Cindy took the picture, but he and I, there at his hospital bed, and uh, he enjoyed the visit. We talked for like an hour and a half. You know, they didn't run me off, so I stayed there for a while. And he's a great patient, and we felt the power of God. He said, ooh, I felt tingling all over when you prayed. And I said, well, yeah, that's the presence of the Holy Spirit. And Cindy said, I did too. And we went to the elevator. She said, Pastor, I still feel that tingling all over. I said, well, good, just keep it going. That way you can get healed, made well. But uh, Rick called me from the nursing home today, worried about Sherman. And so that's good. He's been getting all this prayer, and now he's praying for Sherman to be healed. So that's a good thing. But uh, God is good like that, you know. He knows exactly what's going on. He knows what you're going to have to go through. And lo and behold, isn't that kind of what I preached about last Wednesday, about going through a lot of trials and struggles and situations, and then boom, we have this accident. But we were sad to hear that the young lady that hit them passed away, but... You know, God knows all things, doesn't he? So we trust him in the middle of all of the crisis. And, uh, and Virginia's got a couple of fractured bones, and she's uh, resting up at home trying to recover. And so her and Sherman have been talking on the telephone, and uh, that's been good enough so far. But, uh, but uh, when I went walked in the room, he said, I knew you'd be up here before long and he smiled at me and I said yeah you can count on it I was just waiting for him to get you out of surgery because he had a surgery about every day since he was up there and so he had finally come out of some of the the medication realm and and was able to talk and he said I don't know how many guys called while I was there wanting to know if he needed his yard mowed or any work done he said well that'd be great if it needs it he said, somebody needs to pick those tomatoes. He, he was telling the doctors up there, he said, I got to get out of here. I got tomatoes to pick. <laughs> you know, but that's, that's him. <laughs> he, he's busy. He wants to be busy. Anyway, I said, well, you just get well enough to plant your garden next year. 
and uh, you, you plant some zucchinis and bring them to Lucia. She'll make you some more zucchini bread. He said, that is some good stuff. He said, I ate half of it before I got in this accident. <laughs> Somebody else going to eat the rest of it. So. But this is part eight. It might be like part nine, but last week was part 7B because I only got halfway through that message. And so tonight is part eight of called and chosen. You know when God uh, puts his hand on your life and you get your heart right with him, then you get saved. You become born again. And then you become called. Called to do something with your life. And so then you go through the process of growing and maturing. And then he chooses you for some kind of work that he wants you to do. And wants you to accomplish. Doesn't matter how old or how young you are. He wants you to do something. Anyway, our, our text scripture has been Matthew 20:16 that says, and the first will be last, or the last will be first, and the first last. For many are called, but few are chosen. You know, that process that we go through is a difficult one. God never promised us it'd be easy to live the Christian life. But I tell you what, it's a lot better to live a Christian life and go to heaven than to not choose correctly and not make it, you know. Uh, let's face it, I saw a posting on one of the social medias today where a guy was saying, you know, uh, there'll be demons cast out, the sick healed, and so on, and yet Jesus will still say, I never knew you. There's a lot of people that will do the works, but they don't really know Jesus Christ really is Lord. They just said a prayer along the way, and the formulas face it faith works faith moves mountains and so if you have faith in god you can always see things happen but are you really living for god are you really obeying him he said if you love me you obey my commandments how many don't obey his commandments you know and it's not that the ten commandments get you saved but they keep you saved you know you get saved by the blood of jesus by faith and Jesus Christ and his sacrifice and his grace and his mercy to allow you to come to know him. But uh, you don't let your baby just sit in the crib and don't feed him. He'll die. And that's the same thing spiritually. We don't just let people not receive the word of God and prayer and learn how to praise God, how to sing to him and live for him, or else they'll die spiritually. God wants you to live, and he wants you to live how? said, abundantly. How many want to live in abundance? You can. God wants you to live abundantly. He wants you to be blessed. He doesn't want you to put roadblocks out there. This thing that happened with Sherman and Virginia wasn't their fault. It was an accident. They didn't cause that, but they are coming through it, and they'll be blessed even though They've gone through a bad situation. And a lot of people have shown their love towards them because of it. Anyway, this is about breaking down the walls, part eight. God wants you to break down the walls. And, you know, when I was in Egypt on a trip, and I went with the missionary and some of his workers, we gave them a day of having fun. So we went down to the Red Sea. 
We left Cairo. It's either the largest or second largest city in the world. Had like 27 or 28 million people. Uh, we drove, I rode in a bus one time when I was in Cairo, and I saw Mercedes-Benz car, and next to it was an ox and a cart <laughs> right next to it. You know, that's how overseas things are. You can be so crude and, and down to earth, and then there can be an extravagance of a beautiful vehicle. And so, you know, you just never know what you're going to see over there. Everybody thinks the pyramids are way out in the desert. They are in the desert, but they're in the middle of Cairo now. Cairo has grown all the way around the pyramids. And the Sphinx that looks like a big lion, you know, concrete stone lion. Well, those are in the middle of a national park now in the center of Cairo. And so you go there, and I remember we got one of our ladies from our church in Florida got up on one of the camels, and the guy didn't want to let her down unless we gave him more money. I had to look at it and say, let her down. You know, she was under my charge. I said, we're not giving you more money. We gave you money for the ride. Now let her off the camel. Or else I'm going to have to grab you by your ears or something. But anyway, but uh, anyway, uh, we went down to the Red Sea and we had some fun. And on the way back, we stopped at a little seaside place where they served little cookies and, and coffee. And their coffee is not like Folgers, I'll put it that way. It was like the Turkish coffee or something, but it was Egyptian coffee. And it was super strong. I mean, my, my nose hair stood up on end even. You know, when I sipped that coffee, it was like, bing, bing, my eyeballs rattled and went around a couple of times. Anyway, I was sitting there drinking that coffee and eating a cookie, and an older lady came over to me with tears running down her face. And uh, her husband, this was her second husband, she remarried. Uh, she had been a widow. Her first husband was a pastor, and this man had been a pastor also. And they got married, and she was like 87, he was like 90. And she came over and tears running down her face, and she said, Pastor, you know, through a translator, she didn't speak English. She said, I, when I looked at you today, I saw a big wall in front of you, a huge wall. And it was like a dam. She said, but I saw in this vision is this big hand came out of the sky and traced a doorway in this wall and opened it. And you walked through that doorway, and on the other side, she said, was everything that you needed to do the ministry that God had called you to. I'll never forget that. That was quite an experience. That was many years ago. You know, it was about, well, maybe... 18, 16 or 18 years ago. And Dr. Martinez was with me with Ron Kelly on that trip. And, and what an experience. I got to see King Tut's treasures and, and went in the, in the museum where they had the sarcophaguses, the mummies, if you want to call it that. They looked like leather people wrapped up, you know. And they were under these air-conditioned, air-tight glass coffins. And you could see them. And I could feel my face getting flushed. My hands started sawing. See how easy my ring came off just then? My ring would not come off my hand. My hand was so swollen. I said, i got to get out of here. 
I told Dr. Martinez, and he stayed in a little bit longer. I went, I went outside, and uh, they came out and said, what's going on? I said, anytime I'm around heavy witchcraft or demonic activities, my hands swell. And I said, my hands are swollen. And so then it was time to go eat lunch, so we drove a good ways away. And the farther away it got, the easier my ring came off my hand. You know, you can't discount what God does with you. He does prophetic gestures with me, just like that. He shows me when there's demonic spirits or witchcraft around me because my hands will swell. I feel pressure. And so, anyhow, that was quite an eventful trip, and I enjoyed getting that word of the Lord from this older lady. And uh, so, anyway... uh, Let's go on. I've already read our text. Let's go down to Joshua chapter 6 and verse 26. And it says there, Then Joshua charged them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds this city Jericho. He shall... uh, he shall lay its foundation with his firstborn. With his youngest, he shall set up its gates. And uh, then there's another scripture that goes along with it, and that would be in 1 Kings 16 and 34. And it says, In his days, Hael of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundations with Abiram, his firstborn, and with his youngest son, Segub, he set up its gates according to the word of the Lord, which had been spoken through Joshua, the son of Nun. There are consequences to doing something that God said you are not to do. And this proved out to be true. This man was commissioned to try to build Jericho. Well, Pastor Ken, you've been there, right? And I've been there. And they've showed us the site where the old Jericho was, and they tried to excavate it, uh, different archaeologists and such. But when they did, they were struck dead. They died on the spot. God did not permit anybody to excavate the old city of Jericho, nor try to build there. They built a new Jericho over next to it. They call it Jericho. And boy, they had the biggest fruit you'd ever seen in your life because they uh, irrigate down in those parts. There's an aquifer of water, by the way, in that region, that south part of Israel, all the way down by the Dead Sea, full of water. And so they, they uh, you know, irrigate it, and they'd grow roses down there. And they said, and I think it's what, Jeremiah 34 says, and the desert shall blossom as the rose. And Israel grows more roses than any other place on earth. And they sell more flowers to Europe than anywhere that sells flowers, especially roses. So I find it quite amazing. God never lies. He, what he says is the truth. And so we see they never rebuilt the old Jer- Jericho but they built a new Jericho, and they had lots of fruit stands and whatnot down there. They had a thing called the ugly fruit. 
it looked like a gnarled up grapefruit. And it was about this big. It was about the size of a volleyball. But you, you cut it open and peel it away, and it has fruit inside similar to a grapefruit. So it's kind of interesting to see all that. And the grapes were as big as the plums. I mean, just, you know, when they talked about the spies going across the Jordan River, and they came back and said, this is a land of milk and honey and fruit. I mean, they brought back, you know, grapes on their, what do you call, clusters tied to a stick over their shoulders because the grapes were like that big around. And I saw them. I ate some of them. It's quite amazing, too. But we see, you know, that he said this will happen, and it surely did. Now, I had a statement. I don't know if I passed it up already. But real faith causes walls to come down. And you, when you have real faith, you have it because of the Word of God. When God speaks, He spoke to Joshua. Come on now, it's time. Moses has died. It's time to rise up and cross over. But we're going to read a little bit here in a minute. But Hebrews 11, chapter 11 and verse 30 says there, says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. And, of course, we know this story. We'll read it at the end of the message, a little bit of it. But we know that the children of Israel, once they crossed over to the other side, it scared all the kings half to death. There's like 18 kings that were going to be defeated before it was all said and done. And they went around that city seven days in a row. The seventh day, they went around seven times. And then you've seen Pastor Ken over here blowing the shofar. Well, they blew their trumpets and the shofars. They blew them and shouted. And when they did, after the seventh time on the seventh day, I love that number seven, lucky seven. I've never played the lottery and I've never been in a casino. But I know when the three sevens come up, it's got to be good. That's what I see on TV anyway. And so that's seven days and seven times the seventh day when they shouted and blew their trumpets and whatever they bashed, pots and pans or whatever, then the walls didn't just fall down. They fell down into the ground. It was like something big pressed the walls all the way down into the ground. So there wasn't much left. There was a little bit of spoils that was left. Most of the people had died. Uh, they had let Rahab, the angels, kept Rahab and her family uh, safe because she's the one that gave them the information. She, she told the spies what they needed to know. And she was a prostitute. And so they allowed her to live, which, you know, when you read the lineage of Jesus all the way back, she was part of that lineage. So you got a little bit of everything in your family line, don't you know it? Every one of us got people in our family line that were something else, you know. And uh, we, we got a few. <laughs> My dad didn't tell me much, but Uncle Bob had plenty to say about it about some of the characters in our family line. But uh, anyway, the walls came down by faith. When you have faith in the word of God that was presented to you, things happen. 
It's wall tearing down, pressing down faith. I mean, you talk about didn't even have to move them out of the way. He moved them down out of the way, scared everybody around. They were afraid of the Israelites then because of their God being so great and awesome. Well, there's a process, and that's what we're going to get into here. I don't know if I'll get to read all of it, but up there you see the process. Joshua was the one that brought it. His name was actually Yehoshua, or Jesus, squeezed through the Greek. And then it was Jehovah saves is what that name actually meant. And, of course, Emmanuel, God with us, he was the Savior of the world. So uh, it wasn't Jesus in the Old Testament, but I threw that in there anyway because squeezed through the Greek. Of course, we say Yeshua. We sing songs with Yeshua in it even. You know, Yeshua. Anyway, I'll stop. Joshua, Yehoshua. <coughs> Jehovah saves. And so let's look at this process. The first thing, first of all, we're anointed. Are you anointed? Yes, you are. Because you are born again, saved Christian. You are bought by the blood you have been saved and sanctified through the Holy Ghost, and now you have the gifts of the Spirit living in you. You have the fruits of the Spirit that need to come out of you so that people can determine you're the real deal. And so, anyway, the actual process involves all this activity. And number one is obedience. How many know it's important to obey? What did Samuel tell Saul? He said, obedience is better than sacrifice. He's not talking about sacrificing five bucks to, to do this or that. He's talking about sacrifice being that they made sacrifices. They put the animals on the altars. And when Saul took all those animals and he brought that king in, made fun of him, and... He wasn't supposed to do any of that. He wasn't supposed to keep the animals. He was supposed to destroy it all. But then he didn't. He saved a lot of them because, hey, you know, I like a good steak, don't you? Man, get you a nice prime rib and yeah, that'd be good. But he, Samuel said, you weren't supposed to save any of it, not even the best. He said, well, I was going to save the best, you know, to make sacrifices, you know, put them on the burnt offerings on the altars and so on. And boy, Samuel was not happy. He said, that's like witchcraft. Rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. So, you know, but he said obedience is better than sacrifices. It's better than trying to look religious. You know. So anyway, let's read the scripture that goes with that, which is Exodus 17. And let's see. Exodus 17, is this it? No, it's down here. There we go. Oh, I'll just read it off there. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out, fight with the Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. All right? So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Aaron was his mouthpiece, and Hur was another leader, and they stood up there by Moses. So it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. They were winning. 
And when he let down his hand, because he was getting tired, Amalek would prevail. And so it was. But Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone, put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur stood, supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So they held his hands up. As long as his hands were up, they were winning. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek under heaven. Boy, and Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner. That's one of those Jehovah names. Jehovah Nisi, he is my victory. He is my Nike. Like Nike shoes with the Jordan emblems on them. Jordan was a winner, you know. But God is the ultimate winner. And so he had a, a memorial put up. He said, I'm going to wipe Amalek so bad, nobody even remember these guys. They're just going to be wiped off the face of the earth. That is pretty wild, isn't it? Well, that's the, one of the steps of the process. When you obey, God comes through. Amen? And then number two we see is loyalty. Now Joshua remained loyal to Moses, and he served him. You ever find any churches that have church trouble? And a lot of times it's because people become too familiar with the ministry and they start looking at the frailties and the, the weaknesses of their ministers or, or their whatever, and because we're not perfect and we can't do it all. That's why we're supposed to be a body with eyes and ears and hands and feet and a mouthpiece and so on. You know? But a lot of people, they get upset at the leaders or the pastors. So they decide, you know, I don't like it the way it is. I'm not going to be loyal to him anymore. I'm going to bug over here, and then I'm going to bug over here. And they church hop a lot. Now, what I would say is find a good ministry and get plugged in and stay there and grow while you're there, unless they raise you up and send you out. I've done that with many, many people. We've sent out many. But we see here that there is a scripture there in Exodus 24, 13, it says, So Moses arose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up to the mountain of God, and he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we come back to you. Indeed, Aaron and Hur are with you. If any man has a difficulty, let them go to them. Well, in other words, go see the assistant pastors. We got business to take care of. Trust in the leaders, the elders, the deacons, whoever. And so, if any man has a difficulty, let him go to them. Then Moses went up into the mountain, and a cloud covered the mountain. Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. On the seventh day he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud, went up into the mountain, 
and he was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. See, uh, Joshua was with him the whole time, only he was down at the foot of the mountain. He didn't get to go up into the middle of the cloud. He was faithful to stay there. Moses said, wait, he was going to wait. He was faithful to do what he was asked to do. And so loyalty is a big deal. And then we see in Exodus 33, 9, 11, but first, what is it? Hunger to honor. You have to be hungry to dig in and get close to God, but you don't get that close to God unless you can honor those who God has placed over you. And Isaac, he, uh, he presented me with a, a plaque the last time they were, some kind of little trophy-like thing, uh, honoring me in the eyes of our congregation. He said, he is my pastor. He is my leader. And so we want to honor him. And he did the same when I went to Aguas Calientes one time. And he, I did the wedding down there. I dedicated uh, Isaiah to the Lord. I don't think I was there. Maybe I dedicated the second boy. But anyway, they always honor me when I go there. And so it's important to be hungry to get close to God. Honor your leaders. God put them in authority to help guide you and teach you and to protect you, to pray over your soul. It's, it's important. And we see there in Exodus 33, it says in verse 9, And it came to pass, when Moses entered the tabernacle, that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose and worshipped, each man in his tent door. Now, why would they do it that way? Well, how many was there, Pastor Ken? Three million? Okay, 600,000 men. There's usually at least twice as many women. And then there's usually two to three times more children. Anyway, scholars have said there's somewhere around three million total people. And so... Well, they can't all get in an auditorium. You're talking about a Dr. Cho-type church in, North Korea, in South Korea. But he said, The Lord spoke to Moses face to face in the cloud as a man speaks to his friend. And he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Now that is a key. When you honor your leaders and you're hungry for more of God, Brother Kevin, Moses came, he fellowshiped with God, talked to him in the cloud, and then he went home to go to bed. He went to his tent. But the thing was, there was still residual presence, residual power of God that was still there. So Joshua said, I'm going to stay right here until the presence of God dissipates. And he would stay there for a long time enjoying the presence of God, soaking it up. See, you've got to have a hunger if you're going to press in and do something great for God to be chosen. You've got to pay a price. Sometimes you need to be here early. Sometimes you need to stay later until you have completely saturated your life with the touch of God on it. I used to do that. I'd come early in the morning and pray 
behind the curtain of the auditorium stage where Brother Gorman would preach down in New Orleans. And I would cry out to God and I would pray and I'd lay down behind that podium because he would preach powerful sermons there and then hundreds of people would get saved and many miracles and healings. I said, that's what I want. I want that kind of anointing. And so I would, like Joshua, I would stay in the presence as much as I could and still do my job. But anyway, the next point is this. It is trust. And of course, trust, it's also involving uh, the promise of faith. Do you have a promise of God for your life? You know some promises that He's made to you? You're not going to have faith for those to happen unless you trust God. I trust God. Uh, the things He's shown me, I trust Him that they will surely come to pass. I have no doubt. And my whole life has been moving closer and closer to that vision that He's shown me in 1985 even. So I trust God. I believe. You know, that's so awesome. And so we see in Deuteronomy chapter 1, Nevertheless, you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. <clears throat> and you complained in your tents and said, Because the Lord hates us, He has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us. Where can we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying, the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. Moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakim there. That's the giants that were in the land. That was like all the tall NBA players, you know. Then I said to you, do not be terrified or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you, he will fight for you according to all he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son and all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet for all that, you did not believe the Lord your God who went in the way before you to search out a place for you to pitch your tents to show you the way you should go in the fire by night and in the cloud by day. And the Lord heard the sound of your words and was angry and took an oath, saying, Surely not one of these men of this evil generation shall see that good land of which I swore to give to your fathers. Except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he shall see it, and to him and his children I am giving the land on which he walked, because he wholly followed the Lord. The Lord was also angry with me for your sake, saying, Even you shall not go in there, Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall go in there. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. One more verse. Verse 38. Oh, okay, there's two of them together. Okay. Anyway, there's the promise. You've got to make up your mind, nothing's going to stop me from going with God. You've got to believe. If you don't believe, you're not going. You're just going to be a wannabe. Or you're going to be. It's up to you. You can choose 
this day whom you're going to serve, see. You've got to make up your mind. I'm not doubting God. I'm going for it. I'm going to keep moving towards it no matter what comes my way. Number five, leadership. The anointed position to do something about it. And so we see with the leadership, it's in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 9. says, Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands on him, so the children of Israel heeded him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. But since then there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Man, I tell you what, Moses was powerful. He knew the Lord face to face in a cloud, though. You know, he did take him up on the mountain and pulled the cloud away and let him see his back when he walked by. He had him tucked in the cleft, the crevice of the rock. And then he took his hand away and he saw his backside. And the glory was so bright just on his back that when he came off the mountain, you couldn't even see his face because the glory of God was so bright. And he had to wear a veil because it pierced people's eyes to look at it. But you've got to have anointed leadership. Moses was anointed. But we had a guy named Joshua, a young man, that stuck it out for 40 years and served Moses faithfully until the end of his life. And then the Lord said, I'm going to let Joshua take him in. And of course, you know, the reason why they had to wait so long was because they were lost. Caleb, when I was a kid, I always thought they were lost. That's why they couldn't go ahead and enter the promised land. I thought, that place must be big. They couldn't find their way. They got lost out there. But no, they were afraid. They came back saying, we're grasshoppers in their sight. They're like giants in the land. And two of them said, no, we can take it with, the, with God's spirit, Caleb and Joshua. And that's why those two got to go in and be a, in a part of that partaking. And then number six, desire for the word. You have to have a desire for the word of God so that when that word comes, you grab a hold of it. And Joshua 1, 7, 8, Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law <coughs> which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Do you notice it says, then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. It takes your faith, your actions obeying God, that when you are working with Him, then your actions allow God to move the mountains allows God to open the doors, allows God to let you see what you need to see so you can go for it. That's a wonderful word. You keep that word in your mouth, in your heart, and then you feast on it and you go with it. And then number seven, follow God's instructions. You continue to follow His instructions. When you do, 
you're going to succeed. And we see in Joshua 6, in a handful of verses, now Jericho was sure securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. They could race chariots on top of the walls there. They lived in the walls in that city. See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king, and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city. All you men of war, you shall go all around the city once. This you shall do six days. Don't you know that was intimidating? You'd see 600,000 men march around that city. Warriors. Wondering, when are they going to attack? And they had, for six days, they had this great anticipation. And then, and seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. See, they went with the ark of the covenant, which represented the presence of God. When you go with the presence of God, God is with you to deliver you. And if God be for you, Romans 8.31, who can be against you? But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the peoples shall shout with a great shout. Then the wall of the city will fall down flat, down into the ground, and the people shall go up every man straight before him. And then in verse 16, it says, In the seventh time it happened, when the priest blew the trumpet, that Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And then we see in verse 20, and we're going to see 21, And the people shouted when the priest blew the trumpets, and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. Wow. That's pretty awesome. So God is with you. You know, and like Forrest Gump says, that's about all I had to say about that. You know, not that he's that important. But anyway, man, you're going to win. You have the victory. Whenever you follow God, you go with the Word of God, you go with instructions, you're obedient to do what He tells you, and then you shout, and you have a shout of the King among you. Wow, great things are going to happen. How about standing with me? How many of you tonight know you have battles? You have things you need to win. You need a victory in some things. Well, let's pretend that we just went around the seventh time on the seventh day. And I don't, I, I have a, my shofar in the office. You don't have yours out here either. Let's just pretend. Yay. Shout. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. Your walls are going to come down. And you're going to go take the spoils and you're going to be victorious, and you're going to win, and you're going to go in and take the city. Let's take this city. How about it? Let's take this region for the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Lord, be with us as we leave tonight. Touch everyone. Help them to glean from this study. Help them to grab a hold of the truth in this word. 
and go forward in Jesus Christ's name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Bring somebody else.